well, alright. I said we're gonna have a good day. Hey. Welcome to Rise with Emily and Audra. I'm Dr. Emily McRae. And I am Dr. Audra Rankin. We are educators, healthcare providers, and mothers who view the world as an unlimited learning opportunity. RISE is a podcast that highlights how we learn from the experiences and stories of others to create new perspectives that improve our own work. Listen with us, think with us, learn with us. And along the way, be inspired to rise up above your day-to-day. This really shouldn't come as a surprise. Knock us down a thousand times in the mornings we will rise. This really shouldn't come as a surprise. Knock us down a thousand times in the mornings we will rise. Okay. Shouldn't come as a surprise. Cause every morning we will rise. Welcome to Rise with Emily and Audra. We are thrilled to be here live today with Eric Wood. Thank you so much, Eric, for joining us on the podcast. For those of you that don't know Eric, he is an extremely successful athlete. He played football for the University of Louisville and then was a first-round draft in 2009 for the Buffalo Bills and had an extremely successful career there. I believe you were a Walter Payton nominee two years consecutively, if I'm not Mm -hmm. mistaken, and also pro bowler. And the list goes on and on. I have not done justice to your uh, career and accolades (laughs) at all, but I kind of am doing that intentionally because Audra and I really want to hear it from your perspective and your own words. So do you mind telling us a little bit about where you're from, what took you to the University of Louisville, and then how those experiences, I guess, led you to a successful career in the NFL. Yeah, so I'm originally from Cincinnati, Ohio. Grew up there, played my high school football at Elder High School up there. We had a really good high school football team, and I only had one scholarship offer. So that's how I ended up at the University of Louisville. And I would love to say, because we played against Brian Brom, who I came in with. He was on the cover of Sports Illustrated when we were juniors in high school. And I would love to say, I just said, wherever Brian Brom's going, that's where I'm going as well. But that's not the case. I only got offered one scholarship. So that's why I ended up at the University of Louisville, but it worked out perfect and love this city so much. We still make it a home to this day. And after being there four years, I only started on my high school team for one year, but I ended up starting all four years at UofL. So came into a very fortunate set of circumstances here and then ended up being a first round draft pick to the Buffalo Bills and spent my entire nine year career up there, which for most people in pro sports, that's a dream. You know, you don't want to bounce around the team that puts this first round investment, you want them to feel so good about their first round investment that they want to resign you. And they did that twice. In my mind, I was hoping it would be three or four times they would keep resigning me and I'd still be playing to this day, but God had other plans. But just extremely blessed with so many great experiences and relationship and memories that come from the city of Buffalo. You probably get asked a lot about memorable plays or things that you've done as far as your position as a football player, but I'm really curious about just the leadership responsibilities that you had on the field. So a lot of our listeners are focused on how we can be better leaders and and better healthcare providers. And so can you tell us a little bit about your leadership and communication strategies while you were playing? Yeah, that's an excellent question. So from year five on, I was a captain for an NFL team. So you have 53 alpha males, and it's a highly competitive environment. So to be a captain meant a lot. And you're voted by your teammates and coaches. So you're voted amongst your peers. So 
leadership is something that I took a lot of pride in. I was a two-time captain at the University of Louisville. So, and I wasn't even a captain of my high school team. And I've often said that leadership skills can be developed. Absolutely. And sometimes it comes with standing. You know, when you're a four-year starter, it comes with that. And you get more spotlight. And then the leaders will emerge from there. But when you're only a one-year starter, like I was in high school, sometimes, you know, my status within the team didn't dictate a leadership role. And so leadership is something that I took very serious. I wasn't probably as intentional in college as I was in the NFL and trying to seek out other leaders and learn from other leaders. It just kind of happened naturally. And with any leaders, there can be a certain amount of charisma and a personality that kind of takes you to a a leadership position and people gravitate towards you, but then it's what you do with that platform that can make you a great leader. And one of the biggest lessons I learned in communication specifically, Audra, was when I first became a captain in the NFL, our head coach was very demanding of us as players and he beat us down pretty good. And so we had these three rookies on the offensive line, all they wanted to start. So I thought, man, I'm going to drive this home. All the points got to get across. If they make a mistake, it's the end of the world. But these guys are going to be conditioned. By the time fall camp's over, when the season starts, they're going to be ready. Well, they hated me. They despised me. <laughs> sure. And this was probably 2014 2014- ish 2014 2015 kind of towards the age of social media happening and they were getting a lot of likes on Facebook and then they come into the facility and they hate this veteran who's just beating down on them every day and I realized then that you know I go back to the old leadership quote people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care and so I completely flipped it after that season and my leadership went to what's more natural to me anyway and that was build a relationship with somebody, and then start to be demanding. And I would always buy them, the rookies, their first meal, you know, as opposed to generally the veterans are saying, hey, come take the veterans out, pay for our meals. I would always buy them meals and have them over for holidays at our house. And then I was able to push them a lot further than if I was just barking down on them and there was no relationship. I love that. It sounds like you've sort of went from an authoritarian leadership style to more of an inclusive leadership style. And I always tell students, Emily, I know you do too, that there are so many different leadership styles that you need to have in your toolbox, depending on what type of group you're dealing with and what works for one group may not work for another. And it sounds like you learned that on and off the field. Definitely. And I think it's got to be who you are personally. Right. Mm -hmm. You know, if you're extremely disciplined and extremely driven and you're not a relationship person, you're not an extrovert naturally, you're probably not going to build those relationships and that's okay. Mm -hmm. Some of the most successful NFL coaches of all time, Bill Belichick, he's not a relationship guy with his players, but he's consistent on a day-to-day basis and people respect that. Mm -hmm. And they respect his day-to-day process personally as well and his track record. Okay, well, that's fine. But then if you have a guy that one day wants to be your best friend and then the next day wants to come down on you and he's got this fluctuating personality, that's not going to work well with anybody. And I don't care if someone's younger than you, older than you, where they're from, people see through that in a Mm -hmm. second. Absolutely. So do toddlers. Exactly. I was thinking the same thing. I'm I'm sitting here thinking, I tell my children, you know, if you're going to be, you got to lead by example, which is put yourself in a, you know, be able to switch to different styles, but lead by example. And I know all three of us... (laughs) Are in are in that with kids <laughs> in the trenches. <laughs> Very cool, Eric. 
just real quick and follow up to that, also on the field. So I've really actually enjoyed listening to your podcast, What's Next with Eric Wood. And even on your position or in your position on the field, something I learned, I love watching football, but something I learned is your position right there in the middle, you were a leader in that position as well. So not only the captain, just sounds like you had a lot of people who really depended on you and followed your leadership. Yeah, so the center is in the center of the formation. So naturally, uh-huh. it's easiest for you to communicate in both directions. And so a center needs certain physical skill sets, but generally the center needs to be very outspoken mm-hmm. and be willing to make critical decisions very fast and be willing to be wrong at times. Because if you make 70 split-second decisions in a game, you're going to have to be willing to be wrong a couple times likely. Mm-hmm. But we always say... If one of us is wrong, we're all wrong. And then, and, then it, and then it'll generally work out pretty well. Based upon the proximity of where the center lines up, they're generally in the quarterbacks in the same vicinity, and that's why you'll generally see them be the most vocal. That was something that I learned because I, yeah. I think of the quarterback as being the, you the know, leader, the, the leader yeah. but there's leaders all over, the, all over the field. That's great. Eric, something else that I was really curious about, you've had some experience in the healthcare setting a healthcare world yourself. You mentioned a little bit earlier, but you had a career ending injury. It happened abruptly and you had to have interactions with your your trainer, your team physician. I was curious if you could tell us a little bit about your experience with the healthcare world and, and a little bit more about that, if you don't mind. Yeah. So a little background on my career ending. It was prior to the 2017 season. That was my ninth year in the league. I'd signed a contract extension. So Fully planned on playing a lot longer. We were very excited to be staying in Buffalo. I was the only player on our team to play every single snap that season. And in an exit interview, trying to get cleared for the Pro Bowl, which everyone takes these exit physicals at the end of the season where they check out your entire body, they said, well, let's get an MRI on your neck. And that's pretty standard that you'll get something X-rayed or MRI'd. And you know, they say the injury rate in the NFL is 100%. So everybody on a given Sunday is even if they're even if they're not exiting the game, you're dinged up some way, shape, or form. So got an MRI on my neck and found out three days later as I'm I'm in the delivery room waiting on my son to be born that my career's oh my over. Gosh. So very emotional, very traumatic time for me and my entire family because when you know I'm playing, you know my wife's a part of it and and our family's a part of it. So very traumatic for all of us. But that being said, it's we've had so many countless blessings along the way, but. Even prior to that injury, I had six lower body surgeries. And like I said, the injury rate's 100%. So you're in constant contact with healthcare professionals. And it's funny, one thing that you just extremely, to, to no end, take for granted while you're playing is never waiting in line for doctor's appointments. So if you true. need to see a doctor, a lot of times they just bring them into the facility to see you as opposed to the exact opposite is what happens for most people when you're in a waiting room and you're waiting for you or your loved one to be taken care of. Yeah. Yeah. Especially in today's age with the pandemic and lines. Right. Yeah. It makes you appreciate it even more. So you had this career ending discovery and then you made this complete pivot to the podcast and leadership work and, you know, different things. So can you tell me a little bit, I'm so curious about, just what you learned from that experience. You know, you had this plan and you were really good at what you did. And then 
things outside of your control happened and you had to kind of rediscover yourself and what you're going to do. So what did you learn from that experience and kind of looking back, connecting the dots? What does that meant? Yeah, I've learned a tremendous amount. And a lot of that came from podcast guests mm-hmm. and people that I've reached out to who had been in a, t- in a transition before. But I feel like everybody in life is constantly changing. You're always at a point of transition, even if that's you personally that just says, I want to make tomorrow better than my today. Mm-hmm. Okay, that's a transition in itself. But all that being said, I started the podcast because I was going to pop into the media world. And a lot of athletes, it's natural to try that immediately for a couple of reasons. One, it keeps you around the sport. And two, if you wait, you're probably not getting in later, especially a offensive lineman from played his whole career in Western New York. You know, I'm not in this big city. If I waited five years, they'd say, who are you again? So I was going to get into that. Well, as an athlete, you're always the one being interviewed. Well, if you're getting in the media, you have to understand how to carry a conversation. And so that's part of the reason I started the podcast was just to get better conversationally and to conduct interviews. And they're a little different than a sports interview. And in a sports interview that you see on TV or hear on the radio, oftentimes they don't want to hear the host talk at all. On a podcast, generally it's conversational. Mm -hmm. So there's some give and take there. But even that being said, I learned just so much about transitioning and finding perspective and blessings and everything and worry about serving others. And if you can bring value or serve valuable people, you will find value in your own life and you'll probably find financial success as well by finding out how you bring that value. I've learned just the power of proximity and surrounding yourself with people, whether it's even just a podcast guest and then who that brings you around and the doors that open. Because when you're in the sports world, you're socially and kind of just in this bubble, you're surrounded by whoever Mm -hmm. they bring into the team. And then there's always a new class of rookies coming in who are getting younger and younger. And you kind of stay about the same age while branching out to all these podcast (laughs) guests. I mean, and that's part of the reason why you see some of these guys get in trouble and do things that you're like, man, I just feel like a 35-year-old shouldn't do that. It's like, well, we've been hanging out in the locker room playing pranks (laughs) on each other for the last 15 years. That's what happens. But it's been a fun journey. At this point, I wouldn't change it for anything. That's great. That's great. So you've talked a little bit about pivoting. Something that I've, again, heard you talk about on your own podcast, you've talked about young athletes. And you know these days, it feels like, this resonated with me because I agree with you 100%, feels like we want them to specialize so early. Mm. You played a lot of different sports and had a lot of different experiences. Do you think that helped you then after your NFL career pivot to what you were just telling us about your successful career post NFL? Yeah, I think I think it helped me during my career and after. Mm-hmm. I think during my career I was I wasn't burnt out coming into college playing football. You know, I mentioned I was only a one year starter, but I played basketball and growing up I played baseball and golf and everything else. You know, my parents would list ten things that they had to drive me around for, but by not specializing, I was never burnt out. I didn't have those overexertion injuries that are really pinpointed on one area, whether it's a basketball player with the front of their knees or a football player with their elbows or their baseball players with their shoulders and elbows, whatever it may be. I didn't have those. So that, that helped me out. And then moving forward, you're just more well-rounded when your sole focus isn't one particular thing. And that could be sports or that could be people that are just way into video games. I hear parents all the time say, man, my my kids won't stop playing video games. And I'm like, look, I played video games as a kid. I couldn't imagine how many video games I play <laughs> right. now, as cool as they are now. I said, I said, now the only thing that worries me a little bit from now and what we were doing is they're not like 
my my buddy's kids, their friends will bring over their own TV and sit in a different room of their house so that they can oh be in this, under the same roof. So <laughs> it's technically having a buddy level. over, but then they're playing on separate TVs because they want their credit for being on their account and all that. So that's the one thing that worries me because you're not getting the social interaction. Right. That being said, if you're way too into one thing, I feel like I'm walking in circles here, but the best focus on less. So if you want to mm-hmm. truly be great on something, at some point you got to really hone in and focus on it. Right. If that's not something that's truly going to serve you for the rest of your life though, then you can really put yourself down a dangerous path. It's so funny because I feel like we hear that line, the jack of all trades, master mm-hmm. of none, right? You can't be good at a lot of different things. And in healthcare, whether or not you're a healthcare provider or an academic, you know, we really tend to focus on one thing. And quite frankly, like, if you have somebody operating on your neck, you want somebody who's like a master of that thing, yes. right? Like you, <laughs> you want them to do it and do it really well. But what Emily and I have learned with this podcast is that there's so much value in talking to people outside of healthcare. And we've just gotten these awesome perspectives of what you're doing leading on the football field or in a podcast or, you know, what a musician is doing and how that can inform healthcare delivery in a way that makes it better, you know? And so I think there's just this wonderful balance of being really good at one thing, depending on whether you're a football player or a surgeon, and then also being appreciative of other people's perspectives and and learning from that. Definitely. And and I've always said that the most successful people to me and the people that have long-term success are successful in all buckets of life. And so, yes, career-wise, they are generally very specifically driven towards one area because they're great at that one thing, Mm -hmm. but they're generally a pretty good dad or wife or, you know, a dad or mom or husband Mm -hmm. or wife. Generally, they have some type of spirituality about themselves or at least tap into something on the spiritual side. Mm -hmm. Emotionally, they're in check. And then physically, they have their health in check. You know, that doesn't mean that they have to walk around looking like a bodybuilder or a CrossFit Games champion. That's not what I'm saying. It's just they have they have their health in check. And so generally in the people that I've had on my podcast, whether they're a pastor, a CEO, a coach, a GM, a football player, or a number one brain doctor in the world, Dr. Daniel Amen, they seem to all have those five buckets filled Mm -hmm. to some capacity. So I'm curious, I was listening to your podcast on Sunday to get ready for this. And, and so was my three-year-old. She really liked it as well. And, and one of my things yeah. is being kid appropriate because yeah, exactly. I it could get, and I talked to Andrew who's here as well all the time. Like I could tell debaucherous stories about <laughs> golf trips and Super Bowl weekends and times in the locker room, but I want this to transcend me. Like I want my kids to be able to listen to this one day. And that's why we bleep out curse words for two reasons. One, Apple will not right. promote you if it's an explicit podcast. Details. And two, like I, I want you to be able to keep it on in the car. I mean, and, right. and you guys as parents, it's amazing to me nowadays. Like I can oh hardly God. listen to sports talk radio because they for keep pushing sure. it further and further. Mm-hmm. So they'll just like, in our house, stupid's a bad word. Well, it'll mm-hmm. be like stupid, idiot. And then they keep going a little bit further, a little bit further. I'm like, I can hardly listen to talk radio. I'm sorry I cut you off talking about you listening with your three-year-old. You're fine. I'm glad you did. Um, But I... I am curious. So when I was looking at your podcast, I like couldn't decide. I was just going to listen to one. I'm going to listen to more, I promise. But I was going to listen to one on Sunday. And I couldn't decide who I wanted to start with. And I'm curious about just in your experiences with this, your favorite, maybe, maybe not your favorite, but your most memorable guest or a funny story or 
maybe one that stands out? Yeah, I mean, I have some like former teammates of mine that have been like, I cherish those conversations, like Orion Fitzpatrick, and that got huge ratings. We have a great relationship. He was our quarterback in Buffalo for a while, and a lot of people know him around the country. So, like, mm-hmm. a guy like that is a lot of fun. I grow the most. I mean, I hate to even like pick out individuals, but the Ed Milet types, the Ben Newman types, mm-hmm. the David Nurses, these personal development, these executive coaches mm-hmm. that are interested in pushing you to your next level. And then just by the conversation, I'm like, I just got to spend, let's say we recorded for 45 minutes and we spent 30 minutes on the back end catching mm-hmm. up or whatever it may be. Like, that was really valuable time that they gave me. And then some of these pastors that I've had on who, you know, we've had of the five biggest Christian churches in the country, three of the pastors have come on the podcast. So there's a note for the next two that need to come on. But it's amazing when these guys start talking about leadership mm-hmm. and business development yeah. and what maybe their prior experience was before coming a mega church pastor. And you realize that these guys, yes, their call was the ministry, but they could literally do whatever they want in the business world. And they really do run a 500 to 2,000 person company. company. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I've never thought about that, but that's a really good point. Yeah. I know. It's amazing how guilty they feel about making money. Right. You know, and I'm like, well, you could make probably 10 times this. So do not feel guilty, guilty about right. having a nice house and having nice things. It's okay. Yeah. Like we know you're generous and you could be banking more. <laughs> Eric, you clearly value lifelong learning. Something that drew us to you, your your own podcast, it's, uh, as you just mentioned, share similar values to what Audra and mission, I guess, to what Audra and I are trying to achieve in our own learning from others. Can you tell us about somebody maybe that sticks out or maybe just some pearls. It doesn't even have to be a person that you've interviewed, but maybe some pearls about a person transitioning into a new role that maybe you've learned throughout your time interviewing people. So this could be a college athlete going to play professionally or a middle school kid going to play in high school, or it could be a brand new nursing assistant going to be a nurse the first time, or even a, a business person going into a leadership role into a huge company like that. Any pearls that you've taken away from? Yeah, I'll, g- I'll give you a couple. And I appreciate you giving me those examples because that gave me time to think. Yeah. And, and, and that's, that's, a, that's an expert interview deal. Like if you're going to give someone a tougher question, then you give a few examples and then let them think on it. So in transitioning from college to the NFL, I've had countless pro bowlers and hall of famers on the podcast. And one of my favorite things to ask them is either, you know, what do you wish you knew when you were transitioning in that, you know, now, or what would be your best advice for rookies nowadays? And I I do talk to a good amount of rookie groups. Mm -hmm. So I use what they say and use their names and all that and gives me more credibility, but almost all of them in one way, shape or form will say, find someone that's further along that's where you want to be and then do what they do. Like okay. figure out what they do on a day-to-day basis mm-hmm. in an NFL facility, but you know that applies to anything. Find someone in the healthcare industry that you want to be like that top-tier doctor, nurse, you know, whatever it may be. Mm-hmm. Find out what they do and how they conduct themselves and model it because there's generally some gems and it's not, hey, I need to be this person because we're all uniquely different. But what are some things I can take from them to start implementing as early as possible where I can maybe get to that point faster than they did? And so that's one. And then in transitioning out of sports, Chris Burke came on the podcast early on. He was a professional baseball player for a number of years. And earlier I mentioned the serving others and bringing value to people. Mm -hmm. When you're at that tough transition point, oftentimes it's hard because you're thinking, okay, how do I fix myself? How do I fix my career? If you can put your focus on others and 
oftentimes that turns into networking and connecting, but mm-hmm. truly just bringing value to others and trying to serve other people. And it may come in the form of just asking them questions and letting them talk about themselves. Right. But that is a great way of helping yourself transition. And it kind of takes the pressure off yourself too. Like, okay, this isn't about me. I'm just going to go start figuring out how I can serve other people. And it's amazing what can come from that. I love what you said. I, I mean, and modeling after someone that resonates with me. It just, um, it's so true to find people that are leading by example that you can take pearls from. And so. nowadays, it's amazing because everyone always says, and I think it's a Jim Rohn quote initially, but you become the average of the five people that you spend the most time with. Well, in this day and age of audiobooks and podcasts and mm-hmm. documentaries and YouTube videos, it's weird to say, but one of your top five people can be an Ed Milet. It can be a Tony Robbins. It mm-hmm. could be a big time pastor around. Like, yeah. It could be like that could be your top five. So on a day-to-day basis, while you're catching your morning workout, you could be listening to a podcast. You mm-hmm. could be watching something on YouTube that's inspiring you and not, I'm going to say this only because my wife likes them, but not the housewives, you know, (laughs) and maybe that's who you want to be like. Maybe that's what your dream is and that's okay. It's okay to Mm want to be successful and, and, and that's fine, but find out who that is because nowadays you have so much access to people mm-hmm. and, and look, I'm as guilty as anybody, but the aimless scrolling and everyone talks about how mm-hmm. bad social media is, but you follow the right things on social media. You right. might wake up and roll out of bed with your hair on fire in the right direction as right. opposed to, you know, a few memes, a few images that are going to trigger you one way or another on the vaccines and masks. And then all of a sudden you started your day the exact wrong way. Yeah. Yeah. We could have a whole separate podcast on (laughs) on social media and all that, but you're so, so true. We use social media with our students quite a bit. And it's so interesting because students, some students have it ingrained in their day all day, every day. Right. And then we have older students who are like, I don't want to have a Twitter account where I'm not going to make one. But there is, to your point, there is a way to curate what you're watching or reading so that it really adds value rather than just a lot of extra noise. And Yeah, I wish I would have started my Instagram account when I was playing because yeah. <laughs> I see what the Bills players, the smaller Bills players have now from a social media following on Instagram. Well, I always kept, at the time, I saw that as a platform to like just check out pictures of my friends and their kids honestly it was like it was like getting christmas cards but all year round right okay that's awesome we can keep up with everybody so i kept mine private Mm -hmm. and then you transition into media and you need all your platforms and now mine is significantly smaller than it probably could be so for those out there that maybe are shying away from that you can use that in a valuable way yeah. And when you were talking about you're the average of the five people that you're around, I've never really thought about it in that context. But you hear like the concept of your personal board of directors or people, you know, that you want to guide your life. And I, I think that there's so much value and, you know, thinking about how technology has created this much smaller world. And it really could be somebody that maybe you don't even know, but you're spending a lot of time with. I, I love that. That's a great point. In that train of thought, we end our podcast interviews with a set of rapid fire questions. So we ask every guest the same questions at the end of the interview. And our first one is, what is your favorite leadership quote or book? Leadership quote or book. So man, I'm a big John Gordon guy. So I like the Carpenter energy bus. He's got a training camp. He's got a bunch of good ones. Big John Gordon guy. So I'll say that my favorite leadership quote, I mentioned it earlier. People don't 
care how much you know until mm-hmm. they know how much you care. I really like that one. And then I'll say our kind of family quote, family mission statement, which you can see when you walk to the top of the stairs, is Proverbs eleven twenty five. He who refreshes others will be refreshed, and a generous person will prosper. So as a family, we want to refresh others. We talk about spread and joy, mm-hmm. and then we want to be generous. And yes, that may bring prosperity back in the form of financial, but we'll feel fulfilled and have prosperity in that way. Absolutely. I love that here. Um, Okay. Question number two, what is one thing on your wish list, if you will, related to healthcare? So something that you'd like to see happen in healthcare or really there's no right or wrong answer here, just something on your wish list. You know, I think it's starting to happen in smaller cities, but when I lived in Southern California training for the combine and got exposed to bigger markets throughout my NFL career, the concierge doctors were so popular. And now, you know, we're starting to get those more in Louisville, but mm-hmm. where you can pay a little mm-hmm. bit more, but as more people, as more doctors get into that, the cost will obviously come down, but where people can actually have a conversation with people and not just the eight minutes or the 11 minutes that these doctors are allowed to give you based upon what your health insurance will pay for. And to me, that's, step one of many in solving a lot of our issues of just turning towards pills and medicine for so many of our problems. And I'm not blaming the doctors because they don't have the time to say, hey, what's your diet look like? What's your sleep look like? How much are you exercising? What's your stress levels like? You know, is everything okay at home? Well, you solve a few of those and maybe we don't have to turn to all the medicine. Yeah. And that's so funny. I'm reading a book about that exact thing um, right now. And it's all these case studies of people who are just throwing, you know, medications and tests and surgeries. And really, if you took a holistic approach, it wasn't necessarily anything that needed medicine. It was, you know, I've had an upending like injury or a career change or, you know, something that's kind of catapulted me into, you know, all sorts of healthcare issues. And we need to just talk. And and a lot of times we're just completely oblivious to it. Like I took Ambien for a full year during my NFL career because I had developed sleep anxiety because I had just gotten hurt. I was in the middle of a contract negotiation. I was worried about getting hurt again and I would get off of it and then I couldn't sleep again. Well, they just kept putting me on it. Well, I didn't know that Ambien doesn't allow you to get the proper REM and deep sleep because you're in a drug induced state. So for a full year, I didn't get proper deep and REM sleep and I'm out there playing at less than my capabilities because of it, but I had literally no idea. And so that's a lot of people because, and that's in an NFL facility. I can't imagine the Mm -hmm. non-individualized care that a lot of people are getting. Sure. All right. Our last question, and we've kind of touched on this already, but we believe in the value of lifelong learning. And so we want to know if you could learn anything new, what it would be. That's a great question. I would say Learn how to play the guitar because one of my favorite things is to get up on stage with country music singers and sing. If I could play the guitar too, then I would have some added incentive. And (laughs) when my uncle passed, me and my little brother both were given a guitar from him and I never learned. And my little brother taught himself off of YouTube, but he's more the artistic type. I'm more the athletic type. And so I I blame that, but (laughs) that would, that would be something great. What's your guy? Sorry. I'm as a, Podcast hosts as well. I love turning these on people. What would be your guys? I am in the process of trying to learn French, but I have a very strong Southern accent. So I, I've said this on the podcast before, but I fail every type of Rosetta Stone test with the pronunciation. I can't ever get past levels um, because I just can't say things correctly. 
That's hilarious. <laughs> um, and mine may sound funny, but I, with my sisters and I, have been trying to pick up a little bit of golf. Nice. <laughs> I played field hockey a long time ago, so people say, oh, yeah, I mean, this should be easy. You should be able to pick it right up and it's not true at all the mechanics are much different and I want to as a former athlete be good at things right away yes. um, um, <laughs> so it's very 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 frustrating to me but I'm trying hard <laughs> I, I get that completely and I'll say this once you learn how to like compress a golf ball in the mechanics because of your field hockey experience you'll be able to progress faster but that doesn't initially mean that you're going to be able to get the ball off the ground because you have to learn how to do it first right I know exactly what you're talking I mean I see lacrosse guys hockey guys play golf with a bunch of former NHL guys and they can crush the ball once they get good like once they get it down but until then they they stink yeah I think part of it too is the um, thought of being able to go out on the golf course and not have somebody calling yeah for four hours (laughs) I know we both play tennis and we always say like tennis is really not the sport we want to be in it's only two hours you know you got to go work out but four hours sounds a lot that's hilarious I just picked up pickleball (laughs) and pickleball has been a ton of fun yeah Yes. Yeah, yeah, and you don't have to move quite as much as <laughs> It's amazing, though, how many steps, and I track my heart rate. Now, we're kind of running, and we do some, you know, we're keeping our heart, trying to keep it up because we're using it as a workout in the morning. But, you know, on my Apple Watch this morning, it tracked like 1,100 active calories, and we played for 90 minutes. That's great. So that's, that's awesome. pretty good. Yeah. Well, Eric, thank you so much for taking the time to be on our podcast today. We have thoroughly, I'm speaking for both of us, I think we <laughs> thoroughly enjoyed this opportunity to get to learn from you and just really appreciate your time. Yeah, my pleasure. You guys do a great job. <laughs> thank you. Wow. I learned so much today from our time with Eric. I have to say that I was just struck by how personable Eric is. And after listening to him share his story, he clearly takes interest in getting to know others. Whether leading 53 alpha males on the field or interviewing someone on his podcast, Eric really emphasized the importance of relationships. I liked how he shared his stories of leading on the football field. Eric discussed being a young leader hammering down on rookie players and demanding excellence. And as he was talking, I was reminded immediately of the authoritarian leadership style that we talk so much about in our classes, Emily. Eric eventually learned that wasn't the best approach for his team, and he pivoted to a more natural approach for him, which was leading by example. I think that this was such a great example of how different leadership skills work in different situations. For example, you're in a big code. You need an authoritarian leadership style, someone to say, this is exactly what you need to do. But maybe hanging out in the weight room doesn't lend itself to that style as much. We always say that there are lots of leadership styles for lots of scenarios, and Eric reminded me of that. Absolutely. Eric, in my opinion, was able to read the situation in his professional life and make changes as he needed to be a successful leader. He reminded me Audra, of how crucial it is to engage with and establish relationships with others. As healthcare providers, it's easy to fall into a rhythm of seeing a patient, going through the motions, and moving on to the next room. However, if we challenge ourselves to slow down and learn more about our patients, I think we can provide better care and more informed care. I think so as well. Eric mentioned 
the more than once he mentioned the importance of person-centered care. And when his career abruptly ended, he felt supported by the team's medical providers. And he mentioned that individualized care creates space for providers to listen to patients. And he shared his challenges with sleep and being started on medication that ultimately wasn't necessary, maybe even delayed the resolution of his problem. Eric's personal story was such a good reminder that sometimes we miss putting the patient first. I thought about my own experiences and caring for my mom, who has a chronic cancer diagnosis. Now, my mother didn't have a career as an NFL football player, so it's a totally different set of circumstances, but I've witnessed firsthand the difference in the quality of care that is provided with healthcare providers when they move up and move back, which means that you spend a little time talking, but then you spend a little time listening. And there's a place for talking. I mean, we want to know the diagnosis and the treatment plan, but there's also a space and there must be a space to listen. And with listening, at least in my family's experiences, errors have been found, more accurate diagnoses have been made, and most importantly, trust is established. I love how you phrase that, Audra. Listening absolutely improves care. I think another important point in Eric's interview was how he modeled best practice, whether on the field or in his business. Audra, we're asked to do this all the time in healthcare and especially as educators. And we're asked to do this all the time at home. So great example, just yesterday, I was hot and I was hungry and I just, I mean, devoured this oatmeal cream pie that was in our fridge and a giant glass of lemonade, which is not normally what I do, but it was right before, it was, it was amazing. It was absolutely amazing, but it was right before I was about to cook dinner and my girls walked in and immediately said, why do you get to have this giant cookie before dinner? And we don't, you would never let us do this. And I was totally busted. And whether you're in the clinic or the classroom or in the kitchen with your kids, by modeling best practices, we lead by example. This applies to the people we surround ourselves with as well. We aren't always the leaders. Sometimes we're being led. And Eric mentioned that he's learned from other leaders through his own podcast. Emily, do you know that saying that you're the sum of the five people around you? I think we've we've talked about it some, but if there's truth in that, I just find myself thinking, who do we want to be around and who do we want to learn from? With podcasts and videos and books and the internet, I don't think it has to be someone that we know. We could stretch this to identifying five leaders that we want to learn from that could be anywhere in the world. Maybe I need to surround myself with the five best tennis players because I just got creamed in a match this week. Or Emily, (laughs) maybe you need the five best dog trainers because of your new puppy. (laughs) My point is just that the world really is our oyster if we're open to surrounding ourselves with others that we want to learn from. You could <laughs> you could have not said this better and I can definitely use any tips or pointers with dog trainers. You know, I had a phenomenal dog trainer, but now I need help training the trainers that are in my house doing this day to day. So I'm going to have to look into that. But anyways, I think we can also take this a step further and think about having that intentional presence with our patients, truly learning from them and their families. 
I can't help but think that moving back, as you mentioned earlier, Audra, would allow us to deepen our relationships and push boundaries to improve delivery of care. Absolutely. Eric was able to share great insight into his own personal and professional growth as a leader. And Emily, you know that I love all the talk about learning. I love to talk about learning. And I loved that he pointed out that leadership is a skill that can and should be learned. Eric mentioned he wasn't a captain on his high school football team, and he was only a one-year starter. However, he earned the honor as a two-year captain on his collegiate team, and then he went on to serve as a captain for numerous years with the Buffalo Bills. As he developed as a player, he was chosen as a leader by his peers. He found that his leadership style grew organically, and he also found that it grew because he sought out opportunities for growth. Yeah, it just seemed to click for Eric that with such a high honor came high responsibility. And I thought it was really interesting to hear his personal growth with leadership and communication skills. Though I also think it's really important to note that you don't need a leadership title to lead, especially in healthcare. I mean, so many of Eric's lessons are applicable to healthcare workers on the front lines, not just healthcare executives in the C-suite. For sure. I also thought it was interesting that Eric played the position of offensive center. This is a position which you and I both learned a little bit more about (laughs) with the added pressure of repeatedly making quick decisions in a split second. He didn't always get it right and he had to be okay with that. Learn from it and keep moving. And how often does that happen in healthcare? All of the time. (laughs) And sometimes we have to keep moving at a really fast pace. Just like Eric, we need to hone our skills and be able to effectively communicate and manage change, knowing that we are not always going to get it right, but that we must take the time to learn from our mistakes and to be better at whatever it is the next time. Eric also learned how to manage change with a career-ending injury. His identity changed, and he was no longer a professional football player, but rather a player in the media industry. I was really surprised that with such a big change also came a constant. The relationships that he talked about in his football career followed him into his career in media. And although Eric learned a new skill of sitting on the other side of the microphone, he went from being interviewed countless times as an athlete to being the interviewer. The core of his work is still informed by the relationships he has with others. Relationships that honor listening, learning, and truly valuing the experiences of people. I agree. I loved our time with Eric today, and his inquisitive mind and general authenticity were probably some of the biggest takeaways from this interview for me. My oldest daughter loves to read, and recently I have been asking her to read some of the classics that I loved growing up, and she has you know, immediately said that she doesn't want to read them, and, and she's read them, and she's enjoyed them, and so we've been saying that 
you can't always judge a book by its cover a lot. And I, I love that phrase because to be totally honest, I think this applies to Eric's interview. I, I judged a book by its cover. And as a former football player, I was thinking we would hear about leadership strategies on the field or a really pivotal moment in a, in a big game. I was not expecting to be reminded of the value of personal growth, of being able to pivot quickly when forced with change, and the power of learning from others. I agree, Audra. But isn't that the beauty of having a podcast that isn't about healthcare? That's right. It's a podcast about how we learn from the experiences of others to make healthcare better. And today, I was reminded to do that one relationship at the time. Thanks for learning with us. Rise with Emily and Audra was produced with Resonate Recordings. The original song, Rise, was composed and performed by Alex Crum. All right, this really shouldn't come as a surprise. Knock us down a thousand times in the mornings we will rise. This really shouldn't come as a surprise. Knock us down a thousand times in the mornings we will rise. Okay. Shouldn't come as a surprise Cause every morning we will rise